Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week, I'm so excited to be joined by Evan Robb, the principal of Johnson Williams Middle School in Berryville, Virginia. Prior to this, Evan was an English teacher, department chair, assistant principal, and a junior high school principal. Evan is the author of the Principal's Leadership Sourcebook, Practices, Tools, and Strategies for Building a Thriving School Community, and is currently working on two new books, The 10-Minute Principal and Making Star Pudding. Evan, thank you so much for joining us today. Josh, I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. Uh, As I told you before we started recording, I I listen to a lot of podcasts and I really like the work that you're doing. And it's a pleasure for me to spend some time with you this evening. Evan, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you became an administrator. Thank you for asking that question. You know, I took a roundabout way to becoming an administrator. And and along the way, I think, and this is probably not a lot different than than many people, there was some resistance on my part um, because I did not believe when I was younger that education was my path. Both of my parents were teachers, uh, and I grew up in a household where I think there was to some degree a presumption that that would be the career that I would pursue. But I didn't typically lean that way when I was in high school and, and even when I was in college. But I went to grad school to earn an MBA and earned an MBA with an emphasis in finance. And at that point had a realization that that was not where I wanted to spend the rest of my life, you know, working with within business or working with consulting companies. And I certainly don't see anything against anyone who's chosen that path, but it wasn't right for me. And at that point, I decided, you know, I want to be a teacher and went back to school and got my courses that I needed to get my endorsement. This is in the very, very early 1990s and did some substitute teaching while I was working on my courses and uh, had an opportunity and went into teaching at that point and best decision that, that I've ever made. You know, I can tell you that it was it was very interesting for me because I had finished up one semester with my MBA and I was taking really advanced cost accounting courses. And and it was quite a switch to the courses that I was taking for my educational endorsement at that time. Uh, But I enjoyed them. They were different. It was refreshing and, and it was great. So I took a job in Culpeper, Virginia for my first teaching job, which was quite a bit of distance from my house. You know, at that time, teaching jobs paid very, very little in Virginia. And Culpeper is about 80, 88 miles, and I use that number carefully because uh, I'll tell you in a moment why. I could not afford to live in Culpeper because I was making $17,000 a year at that time, and I had to commute. And my commute was 88 miles door to door, and I did that for one year, but I was committed. I really wanted to be an educator. And after that year, I made some connections with some people up in my local area, and I took a job actually as a teacher at the school where I am currently principal, started, continued my teaching career there. And that's where I experienced being a team leader and a department chair. Uh, And then I went to a neighboring district uh, as an administrator and opened up a junior high school, a district that's near to the district that I work now. And then in 2004, I had an opportunity to come back to the building where I started my teaching career. And I've been uh, very happily a, a principal of Johnson Williams ever since then. One thing I could tell you that's interesting about my school, my school has only had two principals since 1996. Myself and uh, a friend of mine who's now the assistant superintendent in our division. And we take a lot of pride in that uh, because that's unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, there's typically more more movement in schools nowadays than than those numbers. So I've been to Johnson Williams since 2004 and very happily a building level principal. 
That's wonderful. And in your transition from a teacher to an administrator, what was the largest misconception as you began your administrative experience? That is a good question. I, I think the largest misconception was that uh, I think at that point I saw a higher parallel between running an effective classroom and running effective school. I, you know, I do believe there's some parallels there, and I think there's some commonalities. I think, you know, good classrooms have teachers that are enthusiastic and they're passionate and they're positive. They have good expectations to kids. They build trust. They promote creativity. All those those things that we want in a building. But scalability, you know, was certainly something that that was a bit of a challenge when I was new to administration. I think the other challenge when I became an administrator, especially as an assistant principal, was kind of figuring out who I was, what I believed in, in terms of what, uh, where I was philosophically, and um, making sure that I was not acquiescing things that I believed in, in order to build relationships. I think that's a big challenge for people that are new to administration. You want to make people happy, you want to please people, uh, but sometimes in doing so, you are compromising what you might think is right. And as an administrator, what was one change that you wanted to make in education? Well, that's, that has changed over time. Um, there are a lot of things that, that I'd like to see changed in, in, in education. One of the things that, that I come back to a lot is I like, I like to bring innovation and creativity into places that I work. And I like to set up environments, and, and certainly in terms of the culture of a building, where people are free and they're encouraged to um, explore their creativity in an environment where they don't have fear of reprisal. And, and that's big, you know, in a lot of schools, you know, in schools that I have visited, seen throughout my career, I've seen environments that are a little more compliant based where things such as creativity were not, were not as encouraged. But I think in order to bring real innovation into a school, you have to have an environment where people can uh, explore their creativity and they can um, be a little more adventurous with their curriculum because that's how, that's how you get better. The other thing that I'd like to see within, you know, it's interesting, a, tr a trend that I've seen over the past few years, and I see it more and more now, is a shift from the type of education that I received when I was a student, which was more a passive receiver of information. And maybe you can relate to that too, Josh, where, mm -hmm. you know, typically in a history class, a teacher would fill a blackboard with notes, and uh, there would be a lecture, and I would take notes, and I would take a quiz. Um, and I see that radically different than what I hope to see in education, which is a, a change towards more personalization of learning within the classroom. And that's a lot different. So that's saying that, you know, instead of one size fits all, um, we're gonna move education to uh, meeting the needs of individual learners within a classroom. Yeah, and I wanna expand on that. As a lead learner, how are you able to instill consistent discovery and growth with your staff? Well, one of the ways that you do that is you have to make sure that your actions are consistent with your words. So if you believe in, in innovation, if you believe in, you encourage creativity and innovation within the classroom, uh, people cannot see your actions to be different or diametrically different than your words. So you have to, you have to model that. And you have to model those things and you need to be able to share those stories with staff. You know, one of the things uh, that I have found and I'm certainly comfortable with is that when I try new things, they're not always successful. And that's okay. I have to be comfortable within my position as a building administrator to uh, show that to staff because I think that sends a message that, you know, it's okay. You try something, sometimes it doesn't work, but you got another day the next day. 
modeling that is very important. And I think the other thing that's important is bringing in quality and ongoing professional development for people so they can increase their repertoire and increase the ways that they can work with kids within the classroom. And so, you know, innovation just for the sake of just to be innovative may not necessarily improve learning within the classroom. But I think that when that spirit is coordinated with purposeful, you know, intentional professional development that is decided upon through collaboration with staff based off of data indicators within the building, that you give people the skills that they can try things in a different way and in turn set up an environment, hopefully, where people are comfortable to give those things a try. One of the things that I have seen, and this is this is interesting because it has to do with it has to do with innovation and it has to do with professional development. I always like to see teachers try different ways to help make connections with kids. And so I'll give you a little example. And this has to do with efficacy, which is something that I believe is incredibly important within education. The belief that the educator has the ability to make a difference in the lives of children. And so a, a teacher, potentially an inexperienced teacher or a teacher who has not had a lot of professional development, may have a limited um, repertoire of skills or strategies to work with students if they are struggling within a class. If they have limited strategies and the students aren't finding success, they may draw conclusions. And those conclusions may not necessarily be correct, but a plausible conclusion is that, well, I taught it, they weren't able to get it, and so they weren't able to learn that. That in turn can impact someone's efficacy because then suddenly they may not believe that they have a high ability to help students within their classroom. But however, if the school has coordinated and purposeful professional development where people are enhancing their skill set and, and, and the way that they can work with kids, and that's done in tandem with an environment where innovation and, and being creative within the classroom is encouraged, you increase the likelihood that not only creativity will occur, but purposeful creativity, and also increase the li likelihood that kids will find success, which is absolutely what it's all about. And making the shift from an assistant principal to principal, what was the biggest surprise to you in the new position? I think the the responsibility of the position can be a little bit um, overwhelming when you first enter it. You know, you have, I, you know, I can recall, and, and I've written about this before, there are, there are a couple moments in my life that, that I remember very, very well. One moment that I remember well was the night before I started ninth grade. And, and the reason is, is I was in, it was in a private school from first until eighth grade. And ninth grade, I attended a public high school. And I didn't know any, a lot of people at all. And I remember the night before I started ninth school, ninth grade being incredibly scared and uh, nervous about what that was going to be like. And the only time there, well, I guess there were a couple of times in my life where those feelings came back. But one time that it definitely came back was the night before I walked into a building as a principal. And, and part of that is, is this realization that if it goes really well, it's going to have a lot to do with your leadership in terms of impacting positive change for kids and for staff and for a community. Um, but along with that, there's an opposite, which is if it doesn't go really well and the culture is not positive and teachers don't want to work in the building and kids are not happy and parents aren't happy, it has a lot to do with the principal also. And, and that's big. And, and there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. 
the responsibility of the position for me was was one of the most challenging, you know, and, and also to make sure that I am guiding people to become successful and, and to develop. You know, I am not the kind of principal who's ever believed that that I am the sole instructional leader of a building. You know, I want a building where people are empowered uh, to develop their leadership. And, uh, you know, I have teachers in my building who are very, very strong instructional leaders. And, and that's great. You know, I'm proud of that. And I want to see that continue. And I remember feeling, you know, thinking about that when I first went into the principal position of, you know, there were things that I experienced when I was a teacher, assistant principal, or even a kid, when I would think about my principal. Some of them were positive and some of them, quite frankly, were rather negative. And so when you move into that position, you have to come to grips with the realization that you have the ability, um, if you make good decisions and you're intentional and you're kid-centered, to create wonderful positive change um, for staff and for students and for a community. Um, but if you're not really giving a lot of thought to the position, the position will run you. And if the position starts running you, you know, and I've seen this happen before, move into a very kind of reactionary mode as a principal, and you're never moving forward, you're just plugging the dam, shall we say, for every hole that, that, that pops open. And sometimes that's part of the job, but if you lose sight of the big picture, and that's a big responsibility you know, of when you're the principal of a building, you can lose effectiveness and lose effectiveness rather quickly. And what do you think is the largest barrier to a healthy school culture? The largest barrier to a healthy school culture um, has a lot to do with relationships and trust. If trust is not embedded in a school, a culture cannot thrive. And if positive relationships are not in place in a school, a culture cannot thrive. And in terms of relationships, that's a tricky one. And I spoke about that a few minutes ago. It's not healthy if the relationships are born out of disconnect between beliefs. There, it's very, very positive when everyone's on board and understands the vision and the mission of the school and relationships are positive within the building. But for relations to be effective, people have to have trust. And trust is complex. And it's one of those things that you have to take a lot of time to build and you can lose it with a snap of a finger. And if relationships and trust you know, are not in a school, a school will never have a positive culture. And if a school doesn't have a positive culture, Nothing extraordinary is going to happen, period. Culture trumps everything. And I think where sometimes principals make a mistake is they're either presumptive of culture, that it just kind of moves along fine, or they underestimate the value of culture within a building. And, you know, and then, and then you know, there are lots of nuances that go, that go into culture and creating a healthy climate in the building. It has to do with the traditions of a school. It has to do with the stories of a school and, uh, you know, the connections. I like a school that has a nice family atmosphere with staff. I want people to enjoy coming to work. And, you know, I think you know as, a, as an administrator also that people who come into work and they're excited about being at the school, that has a positive impact on the climate, has a positive impact on learning within a building. And as an administrator, we have a responsibility to help build the culture, to you know, carry that culture forward, and to make sure that we are positive and, and um, focused on relationship building and focused on trust building within our schools. What do you do on your campus to increase student voice? We do, you know, as a middle school, we're, I think we do a lot. We have a very, very active um, SCA, which is our, our, our form of student government and um, give students a lot of opportunities to work with me and our administrative team. And we have each class has a, uh, an ambassador uh, who represents um, the elected officers on the SCA. 
And um, we also have a lot of clubs in our building. I think this year we're approaching 20 different clubs uh, that give kids opportunities to have voice, but also to, to feel connected with the building. Um, one of the things that I'm excited about in our building is we're continuing to explore how social media can increase student voice within our school. And we have a student news program where students can um, uh, communicate to parents about all the exciting things that are happening with, within the building. Um, we continue to explore different types of social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, in, in order to uh, give students voice and in, in order to uh, better connect with our communities. The other piece that, that's not as codified, but it's really important, is in a building where teachers are really student-centered, there is always going to be a higher communication where students feel that they can have a voice within the building. And, and that's something that has a lot to do with the culture and the climate of a school also. You know, I can recall that when I was in school, I had some teachers who I absolutely uh, would not speak to, whether I had anything good or anything bad to say. I just wanted to simply get through the class. But you know, I'm very proud that I have a building where teachers are incredibly student focused. And so students have voice in a, um, in a, in a non-formalized non way, but, which is the voice they have to their teachers or to their counselors or to administrators. But they also have voice through student government and through clubs and, and just the many, many activities that we have available within our school. In addition to your admin position, you speak at conferences, blog, you have your own podcast, and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond the campus? Social media has been um, a wonderful, a wonderful world for me to enter and, and to and to be a part of. And I have found that expanding my ability to connect through social media has has helped me grow immensely as an educator. You know, certainly to anyone who is aspiring to be an administrator, I would strongly encourage um, getting getting set up on Twitter and following people that are of interest with you and getting involved with Twitter chats and enjoy this unique opportunity that we have now that simply did not exist when I was um, entering the field of education where every day an incredible amount of information can flow at you. And it flows at you through Twitter all the time depending on who you follow. And you can make decisions as a learner about what you wanna learn and what you don't wanna learn. And that's incredibly empowering and speaks a little bit to what I was talking about when you asked me about changes in education that I'd like to see. You know, I'm really into personalization. So not only, of course, personalization from the teacher to the student, but I'm into personalization for people's learning as adults. I think the most successful people, not just teachers, see themselves as learners. And social media is a wonderful way to learn. So I encourage that. I also found that I, I started finding my voice, my voice more by blogging. And fortunately, I'm fortunate to do that with my mother. We have a blog called the Rob Review Blog. And it has been really exciting to be able to um, write. I typically, we typically write seven, 750 to 1,000 word blog posts about things that are of interest to us. And, and sometimes there are things that are resonating in the moment. And sometimes there are things that you know I've been thinking about for some period of time. But being able to get that information down and share that information with people and then have feedback from people and be able to interact with people uh, based off of how they view or how they understand the thoughts and opinions that I've shared or my mother has shared has been extremely empowering. And you're currently working on a new book, The 10-Minute Principle. How would this book help our listeners become better leaders? 
Yeah, I'm excited about this project that I am um, doing with Corwin. And the focus of that book is um, taking the, a very complicated job, you know, the job of a building level administrator, and creating opportunities that can be done within approximately 10 minutes of time. I would be very, very clear to say that it is impossible to learn how to be a principal in 10 minutes. Um, but that's not the focus of the book. The focus of the book is looking at a complex job, and I recommend either through story or through different opportunities, things that can be done in approximately 10 minutes of time. Maybe a walkthrough, what could, be, what could that look like if you had 10 minutes to do that? Or a positive phone call to a parent, what could that look like? And, and so I go down that path and it's, it, it is quite exciting. And what's exciting to me about that book is it's not necessarily a book that has to be read cover to cover. Um, it's a book that a young, an administrator can access and say, okay, I'm really interested in community relations and here's a section on it and here's some really good tips that I can quickly access uh, you know, and put into my day. And for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? Make sure that you're doing it for the right reason. Uh, I think sometimes you know, people can go into, into administrative jobs for the wrong reason. And, and I'll be frank, you know, because I want to be really, I want I want this to be valuable to people. I have known people who have sought uh, or, or thought they would seek out administrative positions for a salary increase or, or, or something of that nature. And it is absolutely the worst reason to do it. Um, you have to believe that, you know, your purpose to go into administration is to help people. You know, the servant model is a very alive and well model of leadership and it exists within educational administration. It cannot be about you. It has to be about everyone else. Um, so you have to go into that job wanting to do the best that you can for kids, for teachers, and for a community. The other thing that I would say is you need to really spend some time and make sure that you understand who you are and, and what you believe in. It's very important. And the other thing is uh, hopefully you'll have, you know, new administrators will have good mentors along the way. But I would always recommend that people try to find a school that they feel fits right with their educational philosophy. Because if there's one way that I can uh, guarantee people will be unhappy, it's to um, seek out a position or, or um, navigate yourself through an interview and find yourself in a position where you are not in philosophical agreement with the way that a building runs. That is not a good path. Um, and then I guess the other pieces that I would say is you have to be patient and you have to be willing to work really, really hard. One of the things that, that I believe, Josh, and I believe this really, really to my core, is you know, I, I don't necessarily believe that some people are just blessed with superior intellect or some sort of genetic ability to do something that I cannot do. Um, although we have not gone into it in this particular podcast, really into growth mindset and a belief that with enough effort and enough opportunity, people can achieve. And I think that that's a really important belief to bring into the job if you're going to be an administrator. And so within the job of administrator, it kind of goes like this. People who are successful work hard and they don't give up. A lot of times the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is people who we may believe were not successful, they, they may have given up along the way. And so I admire grit. I think as educators, we like to see that with kids. We like grit. We like perseverance. Uh, and I admire that within the teaching staff in my building. And it is absolutely an admirable trait for a administrator. But I would say if you dig all the way down to the bottom of the bag, you got to make sure you really like kids because you're going to spend a lot of time around them and they're wonderful and they are growing into, into adults. 
Um, and it is a privilege and it's an honor uh, to be able to help young people grow up and help them make good choices. In closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? I think for me, the, the most enjoyable aspect of leadership is seeing other people find success. And now within schools, with kids, that may be kids who, uh, who you believe that through the impact of your team, you were able to change their trajectory, which maybe at the end of the day is really what it's all about. You know, the power of education is changing pathways for people. So that's, that's something that's very important. Okay, the other thing is, is helping to build a team building a team that's committed to kids and working with a team to create a culture and a positive climate within a building, working with a team that, that is creative and that's innovative. You know, that is inspiring to me. I, I like to tap into the energy of people who, who want to be better and who are willing to work hard and, um, and achieve something special. And how can our listeners connect with you on social media? I can be followed on Twitter, and I would um, love it if people followed me at capital E, capital R, O, B, B, capital P for principal. So E Rob Principal. Also on Facebook at the Rob Review. On LinkedIn, you can find me at Evan Rob. Also the Rob Review blog, which I would encourage any of the listeners to check out. Laura and I try to put out a blog at least once a week, sometimes a little more frequently. We have guest bloggers come on once a month to the Rob Review blog. And Laura and I also have a podcast called the Rob Review Podcast. And we put a podcast out about every month and those get sent out on Twitter and we would encourage people to listen to those also. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and share your ratings and reviews. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Evan, thank you so much for being on the program. Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Keep up the great work.